You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily on Draft. Every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel, we take the NFL Draft, we spin it into a year-round show here on Purple Daily. And when you are 1-4, and four, man, the Draft Talk uh, heats up even more and more. So we got a jam-packed episode of what the Vikings should be looking at here after a very slow start and where do they go from here for the rest of the season. Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis, Declan Goff here. Hit the subscribe button for Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. One thing that's not going away is the mustache. I know people want me to shave the mustache until the Twins are eliminated from the playoffs, which they just, I mean, they're winning playoff games right now, so why would I shave it? Uh, that remains on. But, uh, fellas, glad to have you on here. Vikings took an L against a really good Chiefs team yesterday. So let's let's just start here. Because we gave hottest takes on the main, episode, main flagship episode of Purple Daily earlier this morning on Monday. Um, and I kind of want to spin it from here. Do you guys trust Kwesi Adolfa Mensa going forward? Do you trust him if they are indeed going to blow this up or start the rebuild when maybe they should have done it a year and a half ago, but here they are a year and a half in? Miles, do you still trust Kwesi Adolfa Mensa for the right, as being the right man for the Vikings GM job? Do you have more questions now that you've seen like a season and four or five games now of his draft picks and et cetera? Do you trust Kwesi Adolfa Mensa going forward? I kind of have to in the sense that, like, yes, yes, I do to answer that question. But I also think there's just so much that he hasn't been able to do yet as a GM because in the, his first year as GM, he had to, he was kind of handcuffed by kind of bringing and running it, running it back. And so he didn't really get to reset the cap. He was really, he was given a really terrible cap situation coming in, had a lot of aging expensive players and kind of was told, Let's make that work for a year. And then this offseason, he was finally able to kind of like reset that cap situation and kind of get a little bit more cap healthy going forward. It comes with a lot of tough decisions, but I think you got to give him a full offseason of like true roster rebuilding because he's kind of had to skate around the margins and, and do a lot of different things that I don't think, I think this, this offseason was the first time he probably would have made some of these initial moves. Whereas last season, he kind of had to make a little bit more win-now moves. So I think he's more willing to want to think about it truly long-term than just like a how are we going to do over the next three months scenario. And so I do, as of right now, trust where Kwesi's trying to lead this team. I just think he had to do it backwards to where he would have liked to because of the order of operations he's been at. But I think um, he should be given more more room to, uh, to, to earn that opportunity. For sure. Uh, Forno, do you still trust Kwesi? Uh, to kind of fix this thing and right the ship and again maybe start from ground zero by the draft next year or do you have more questions about his future I don't really have any reason not to trust him Uh, obviously early returns don't look great from that 2022 class but we also have to remember something with general managers the hit rate is like a a really good batter in baseball you're going to hit around 30% of the time and 
right now, uh, people don't like to hear it. And with offensive line, there's it's a very narrative based position because it's a lot of nitty gritty stuff. And it's harder to quantify success like it is wide receivers unless you're really diving deep into the all 22, uh, which is available on NFL plus if anybody wants to do it, because like that will help you understand a little bit more about offensive line play just by watching it from the back and front angles. But Ed Ingram's been good. He, I am classifying him as a hit right now. Ingram has had a very solid season and it, he still needs to clean some things up. He's not a finished product, but he's been good. And that's the main reason why Dalton Risner hasn't played. Sorry, Risner. I, I'm going to mess that one up for the, the rest of time. He's got to earn it, right? He's got to earn, he's gotta earn the name too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. He's got to earn it. My wife might get mad at me because she follows uh, her wife on uh, either Instagram or TikTok or something. And they seem like very nice people. But like, when you talk about what Quasi came into, he didn't start with a blank check. He didn't start with a blank sheet. He had issues he had to overcome. He had contracts that were really poor for the future of this franchise. It felt like Rick Spielman gave out some contract extensions towards the end as a, almost like a lifetime achievement award watches that you get when you spend 25 years with a company <laughs> like Harrison Smith or your 64 million, that Adam Thielen contract, how they structured it. Like some of this stuff was just really inherently frustrating. And he had to figure out ways around it while trying to win, while trying to set this team up for future success and future cap health that, you're seeing some of the results that you are right now. And situational masters was the whole motif of the 2022 season arguably was the entire reason why they went 13 and four and 11 and all one score games that hasn't manifested itself this year for a multitude of reasons, mainly a negative nine turnover differential losing the turnover battle in all five games. You can't expect to be even three and two, let alone two and three. That's why you sit at one and four. And I think with one more season, you're finally going to get to see what Quasi wants this team to be. He is still playing. It's with a lot of Rick Spielman's cards. It's like when we were kids and everybody was like playing Pokemon cards or magic, the gathering and you get your buddy's deck to like start. And then you start putting in your own cards. And then eventually over the course of time, you make it yours. This is what Quasi is doing. He is trying to make this team and form it in his own vision, but he has to do it with certain constraints back then. We didn't have enough money to be able to go buy a bunch of booster packs to be able to get these decks right. Right now, it's the salary cap. He doesn't have enough space to truly morph this team the way he wants. So he has to kind of piece it together. But that's why there's only 40 guys under contract next year. The year after that, it's a lot less. And most of those are draft picks made by Kwesi Dofo Mensa. He is trying to figure out how to do both at once. And I think he deserves time. How much time? I think he deserves at least into year four to really see what this vision is. Because well, quite frankly, we don't know right now. Right. Well, let's give him a chance to find that quarterback. I think most GMs should be get. And if that was like Kirk Cousins long-term and they wanted to do that, fine. But it's clearly not the, the plan. And I don't think they're in the position to, to keep Kirk long-term. Let's let Quazy and KOC get an opportunity to find and see if they can find that successor and, and give them and see what that guy looks like. I think they need, they've, they've like earned that right base up last year, I think. I'll say this, Miles. If they choose Kirk Cousins after this year, I think that gets voided out because they made their choice. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. I think that's the thing. It's like Quazy deserves to make his decision, whether whatever whatever the quarterback situation is, he gets that opp- He deserves mm-hmm. that opportunity to make that decision. One hundred percent. So, how much do you guys think that 
Kevin O'Connell will have an influence then on that pick. Like, yes, he's the head coach, and yes, Kwesi is the manager. Coaches, coach, managers, manage. But how much do you think Kevin O'Connell will actually have opinion with all those scouts and all the people that Kwesi and, and the Vikings organization have hired to obviously identify those guys? But at the end of the day, how much will Kevin O'Connell, Miles, have the stamp of approval of no, we need to get this guy? How much influence do you think he does have in that? Obviously, Kwesi is the final decision maker, but I think it's KOC's decision to make. And I think Kwesi is going to lean on KOC to help him find that guy. Obviously, they're scouts too. Like, I'm not trying to, to downplay what the scouts' roles are. Scouts' roles are super important in these scenarios. They, they're the ones that identify the players and, and tell you the strengths and weaknesses. But I think KOC and his offensive staff are really going to be the ones that pinpoint the guys that they want Kwesi to go after, or whether it's one player, three players, three quarterbacks, whatever. But they're going to, I think, K, I think KOC is going to be the one that makes that final stamp of approval on on which which guys do I truly identify and go after. Yeah, it's this is a Quasi or sorry, this is a Kevin O'Connell decision. Right. We've seen what happens when a head coach gets stuck with a quarterback that he doesn't want. Mm-hmm. Like Mike Zimmer had no interest in Kirk Cousins. Now it's on Mike Zimmer to get over himself and embrace the quarterback because this is this is the hand you're dealt. And at a certain point you can whine and complain and do all these things, but you have to just eventually say, hey, all right, this is life. We've all had that that person that got uh, hired within our building, whether it's uh, a subordinate or your boss, that you just absolutely despise. After however many days working with them, you just start to get over it and and try and forge a positive working relationship. Mike Zimmer really didn't do that with Kirk from our perspective, the information that we know. And I don't think Quasey's going to pick a quarterback that Kevin O'Connell is not like in on. I wouldn't necessarily say all in like if Kevin O'Connell is like, Oh, I'm obsessed with Caleb Williams, but Quasey's like, I believe Drake May's the guy and he likes May. I think he Quasey may make that move. Like theoretically, we're probably not getting either guy, but I don't think uh is going to take a guy where Kevin O'Connell's like, no, nah, I don't like him. Like even if Quasey loves him, I don't think he'd do that. That, that doesn't strike me as his type of management and leadership style. And he's had two years to do that too. Like they could have drafted Kenny Pickett. They could have drafted Will, uh, Will Levis. No, I'm, I agree. Will Levis, they could have gone after Malik Willis. They could have gone after any of those other quarterbacks, Desmond Ritter, if they wanted to. But they've been, they've been very specific and picky about what that process looks like. And I think yeah. that's a good thing. In, in my opinion, so far, it's been, it's been a positive. Let's work backwards a little bit like we typically do on Purple Daily on draft. We usually kind of wrap with college football takeaways to a degree. But Forno brought up the point uh, in our text message thread that what about what if these guys end up actually staying in school? What if what if these guys end up don't declaring for the draft? So I guess Forno, who, who would be the few guys you'd be looking at that there would be concerned that actually they would not be entering the draft and they could go back to college football for another college football season in twenty twenty four. Let's start with the why here. Why would these guys want to go back? Who who's the guy in twenty twenty five? There isn't one. When we came into this season, we knew Caleb Williams, we knew Drake May. And it felt like they were the one, two, like it, it felt like an easy one where these guys are probably, if they just have good years, they're going to be top five picks because of what they've already done, what they are and how you can project them forward. So if your quarterbacks three through 10 and you have eligibility left, are you really going to want to st- stay or sorry, go into the NFL draft where you could stay, make a bunch of NIL money, and have a better position to make more money right off the bat in the NFL. 
And then the higher the draft pick, the more opportunities you're going to have to succeed and get those opportunities to start because of that investment. Will Levis, second round pick. If he would have had eligibility to stay, it might have behooved him to do so mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. now Tennessee, they don't have enough investment in it to be like, okay, you're the guy. It's it's a second round pick. It, like That's not a ton. So guys like Shadir Sanders, who is a third year junior, has the ability to make a ton of NAL money. I mean, his dad is Deion Sanders. Plus, he's playing for his dad. That's a special thing to be able to play for your father. And you have a guy like Cam Ward at Washington State. He's a fourth-year senior. He has one more year of eligibility due to COVID-19. He's kind of a fringe guy, plays in a very air raid system, has made huge strides with his footwork, his pocket presence, and his accuracy. But another year in college could do him a lot of good. So then you you look at those guys and it's like, okay, J.J. McCarthy could end up being one. Same with Quinn Ewers because Ewers has been great, but he's been super inconsistent. Just look at the beginning of the Red River rivalry game this past weekend. He was he made two really poor throws. One wasn't as poor, but they turned in interceptions. And he was 31 and 37 on the day. Like Cleaning some of that up is going to be huge for his pro potential. And J.J. McCarthy's in his second year as a starter. And he hasn't played a lot of quality teams. Hell, Michigan's not going to play a quality team till November. Like some of these things matter when you're talking about pro prospects. And if you have the chance to beat the number one guy in 2025 with NIL opportunities, that may be a great signal to these guys. Hey, I want to stay. So while we talk about a potential of like eight to 10 guys going in round one, <laughs> there's a decent chance three to five of them end up staying because teams are not so worried about you being older as a quarterback prospect anymore, as we've seen from the last couple drafts. And it could help you while you still make a bunch of money in college because you have NIL. Right now, the Vikings uh, at the NFL draft was today. They'd be picking fourth. And according to tankathon.com, uh, the Minnesota Vikes would, would select, is it Jared Verse out of Florida State? Do you pronounce it Verse or is it Verse? I don't know if there's a... Uh, First, okay, Jared Verse, edge rusher out of Florida State. Already have two and a half sacks. He's six foot four, two forty eight. Caleb Williams going one. Drake May going three to the Bears and Broncos, respectively. The next quarterback on the board, at least again, just in this mock draft from Tankathon, would be Shadir Sanders uh, going to the Chargers. Ironically, they wouldn't. Or no, the Rams. The Rams. Excuse me. The Rams at pick fourteen. So yeah, the the whole thing is very interesting. Of that quarterback dynamic, Forno brings up a good point because. I think even uh, looking at holes in this roster here, if you don't re-sign Daniil Hunter and maybe if you say goodbye to Marcus Davenport, I think we've kind of agreed upon, at least early on so far, that edge rusher is probably maybe the next and big important thing on their list. So I guess going edge in the first round isn't the worst case either. But man, if, if some of these quarterbacks end up going back, maybe you have a little bit more clarity on what you want to do with that first round pick. Yeah, that's yeah, tough. It, it, I- I was going to say, I think that's tough. If you have a top five pick, and I don't expect the Vikings to end up with a top five pick when it's all said and done, but if they have a top five pick, and I think what you'll see from Kwesi is you'll see him do everything he can to get to that number two pick. Mm -hmm. I think you would see him do everything he could, especially if the Bears have back-to-backs. Like Even in an in-division trade, like I don't think it'd be out of of question, at least from Kwesi's side. Now, maybe the Bears are like, no, 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 we're good. We're not going to give you guys, you know, Drake May and let you, you know, do that, but I think if you get a top five pick and you don't try to make that aggressive move to get that quarterback, then I, I think that would make this season's like kind of failures as like an all for not. And that has nothing to do with mm-hmm. Jared Verse being a not being a good prospect, a good edge player. I just think 
this position has to be quarterback if you get that high. And we already know that he tried like hell to go get Anthony Richardson. Like that's out yeah. there. Yep. They they were this close to getting the third overall pick, but Arizona didn't want to go back that far. He's already tried. He's tried for the home run. And they're going to be aggressive. It would it would it would shock me if he didn't try to do that again. The 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 big thing, like I think people are going to make a lot of comparisons as we move forward to what the Panthers traded, and I don't think those are necessarily unfair or unfounded. But the big difference between what the Panthers did and what the Vikings were trying to do. The Vikings went for an alien. The The Panthers went for a guy who does not have great athletic or physical gifts. They went for the intelligence, the anticipation, and now you're seeing some of that in- intelligence and anticipation regress early on where he's making bad decisions with compared to what he did in college, and he doesn't have the athletic gifts to really thrive in the NFL, so he has to rely on those other things. And I think if the Vikings are going to make that kind of move, it's going to be for that alien. It's going to be for that hyper athletic elite level potential talent. And like they tried once they're going to do it again. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard show app, wherever you get your podcasts or visit Tom Show.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. I, we've talked about this before a little bit, but right now the Vikings do not have a third-round pick uh, in the 2024 NFL draft, so they have their first-round selection, their second-round selection, two-fourths, two-fifths, and a sixth uh, in next year's draft. So, I mean, if they continue to lose, and look, the Bears, they they should beat the bears. They could beat the bears on soldier field um, on Sunday, but at the same time, uh, things are going to get really interesting here and you might be starting to kind of add up some of that trade value and add up some more draft picks. If you indeed really want to reload Uh, sticking on this tankathon theme really quick here. One last thing on it. So Jared verse goes to the Vikings in this mock at pick four. And then it's Michael Penix jr. Actually falling to 35 to the Vikings at uh, in their second round selection. If that was the case, let's just say this happens. Miles, would would you be okay just on paper right now? Edge rusher Jared Verse at four and Michael Penix Jr. at pick 35. Would you be cool with that? I mean, as of, as of right today, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd say yes, only just, I mean, yes, I think, so what I think is if you have a top five pick, they should be going to go get a quarterback, but there's only so much you can control when you don't have the first, you know, the first pick in this scenario. So, mm-hmm. um, or the second pick. So if that's the way that things fell and the the quarterbacks that were out in the draft, you know, obviously Williams and May are gone. If like Shadur Sanders goes back to college, if JJ McCarthy, like if any of these guys decide I'm going to, and Quinn Ewers, if those guys had guys to decide to stay, I don't think they're worthy of a, the fourth overall pick anyways, at least at, as of today, um, I can understand making that move where you decide, let's go just take the best edge rusher available, the best player available in that spot and then look to uh, grab a quarterback on day two, early day two, like a Michael Penix Jr., who I think has a lot of uh, potential and ability, who's played really well in Washington. Now, of course, we've talked about the last few weeks with you know me and Fornov just about his injury history and things but and the mechanics. But I think he's a guy that I'd bet on on day two as an early day two pick as someone that like maybe you could develop into a, a future franchise quarterback, for at least especially for the short term during a, on a rookie contract. Or no, if Penix does uh, come out of the draft, do you see him going round two at this point? Or do you see him maybe sneaking into the round one? 
I really don't know. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with so many questions that need to be answered. And I was asked earlier this week on uh, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, the Elon Musk machine, uh, what I thought, like who my quarterback three would be. And I'm like, I, right now it's it's between Ewers and McCarthy for me because I don't think Sanders comes back. And I know it won't be Bo Nix because I will not be fooled by Bo Nix. I, you, don't be fooled by Bo Nix, people. Don't look at the stats and be like, oh, he did this, that, or the other thing. Why is he doing it? Because they, he's running an offense that hides everything he's bad at. And it's great for success in college football, but not in the pros. And panic, somebody asked me, well, why not panics? I'm like, well, the injury history and why are his mechanics so wonky? Why is he not using his lower half with, of his base to throw the football? Is that because of injury? And what do those medicals look like? How bad are they? Does he have a degenerative knee? Is there going to be arthritis concerns? What about his shoulder? Are, are there concerns there? There's just too many unknowns for me to really put any form of value on Penix right now. And that's when this offseason, when I evaluated him based on his 2022 film, he's a, probably a second round pick grade who could end up as a UDFA based on all those unknown factors. Like I just, he's too much of a wild card and we're going to find out a lot when the, he's probably going to end up at the senior bowl and then you're going to be able to see him. You're going to be able to talk to him. You're going to hear whispers and rumors from everybody that you talk to down there because it's basically a gossip central high school down in mobile. And that's really going to clear things up. If he ends up available in the second round and I feel comfortable with all those things that I mentioned, hell yeah, I'm in, but I, I I just have too many questions before I can put any kind of qualitative grade on him. Uh, again, let's let's kind of continue to work a little backwards here on Purple Daily on draft. I would do want to get in um, on what Jordan Addison means to the Vikings, especially if Jada's injury uh, is pretty serious. But let's just let's kind of wheel out our college football takes here. Uh, anything that stuck out? Obviously, I, I know the Miami situation, which was just hilarious to watch unfold. If you're a Miami, I, I'm honestly, I feel bad that that is, that is brutal way to lose a game, man. Did you know that's the second time that's happened to crystal ball? I I did. I saw, I saw like a a thing that some Miami fans put out. I listened to a lot of Dan Lebetard podcasts and they're obviously based in Miami. So I I know crystal ball is no stranger to doing a buffoonery like this either. My God. Yeah. Oh, it, it, as a diehard Florida Gator fan, you can even see the swamp picture right there <laughs> as I try to move my fingers. I don't, yeah, you can see it. It's above my head, but God, it, it's so funny. It, it, Miami sucks. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, we did see the Michigan Wolverines obviously light up the Gophers uh, here locally in the Twin Cities. Uh, Michigan easily covered that spread. Uh, and they beat up the Gophers pretty good. What did, did you guys were able to catch any of that game? And I guess from the Viking side of things, what did you think of J.J. McCarthy if you got a little bit more of a view of him than you did previous weeks? Here's the big thing with Michigan. They kill you in the trenches. That is their bread and butter. They have dudes on like in the skill positions. They have a good secondary. They obviously have a good quarterback. They murder you in the trenches. They won the Joe Moore Award the last two years with the best offensive line in college football. And they, they kick your ass and the defensive line. They've got some dudes, Chris Jenkins. You may remember his dad played for the Panthers, Chris Jenkins, senior. They have two other guys who could be interior defensive linemen one and two in the next draft class in 2025. That this Michigan team is very good. The problem is if they go play Georgia, Georgia is a better version of what Michigan is. 
They just do the same thing. They just have better caliber players. But yeah, um, Michigan is just awesome. JJ McCarthy, really good decision maker. And Athian Kaliak Manis needs to go to like five quarterback coaches and do nothing with his summer other than work on his mechanics. Because he's got the arm talent. He doesn't know how to use it. Miles, anything uh, you notice in the college football scene that you, you like this weekend? I mean, I watched as much as I could of the Gopher game at a wedding this weekend, but watch the Gopher game. I kind of anticipated the outcome, unfortunately, um, just because I just don't think that that team is as talented, obviously. But um, no, I mean, the the Red River rivalry is another one. Like my my college roommate, my roommate in college was a is a huge Oklahoma fan. Is literally his name is Sooner. Like so, I really kind of embraced the like Oklahoma like college football team uh, coming out of college and stuff. So I, I really enjoy watching that rivalry. I think Dylan Gabriel's looked really good. I think he's been a guy that maybe he's kind of been slept on. I don't see him as like a first round pick or anything like that, but I think there's some potential as to be like a mid round guy to, to consider for, for teams as like a developmental guy or, you know, a potential backup, you know, maybe a spot starter type. I'll but, be honest. Yeah. I don't see an NFL future at all for Dylan Gabriel. And, and maybe, and maybe that's the case that's and that all. it wouldn't be, and maybe, and maybe that's the case, but I just think, on that team, kind of what you've seen from him, I think um, at least there's there's potential. I'm not he's saying it's going to be, yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying he's going to turn into anything special or, or even a guy, but he's just someone that I've watched that like, hey, maybe there's maybe there's something that could be there. Uh, I do want to give credit. I, I don't have his name written down, but on Ventline yesterday, we did get a question on the Purple Daily on draft front about Jaden Daniels. What do we think about Jaden Daniels, mm-hmm. who is in his fifth year now? He played three years at Arizona State. Um, now he's with the LSU Tigers. What do we think of Jaden Daniels as a potential draft prospect for now? No, um, I think he's taking a massive step forward this year. He has more yards than anybody in college football, but there's always context. And that's the big thing when I talk about stats, why is the stat the way it is? And when you answer the why about Jaden Daniels, the LSU defense is a garbage pail that you put out front every Wednesday. So the garbage can come pick it up. It's atrocious. And it's not because of the talent. The talent's excellent. They can't coach it or scheme it up well enough. And it's honestly baffling for those of us in the college football world to watch it because they should be really good. They should be allowing like 20 points a game and not have to win every game 55 to 49. Like Daniels has to do so many of these things, but he's not a traditional drop back passer. He's improved and his accuracy is okay. He's, he's got a decent enough arm. I just don't think when you watch him and how he plays the game and what he does that he, he signals any form of NFL quarterback. And it's not necessarily that he he's a run first guy. And to me, that's, that doesn't bother me so much because in college football, a lot of times you'll have offenses where running the ball is more efficient in college football than it is in the NFL level. And it's a lot easier to do so when you are a great caliber athlete and you're going against college kids more than half of whom aren't going to see even a snap of preseason football. So utilizing the run game is fine. I just don't see him as any kind of qualitative NFL passer to be anything at the NFL level. But Daniels is, he's fun in college, but the reason why he's putting up so many points and yards is because he has absolutely no choice. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a guy that, went to an all-star game this off season and like got asked to kind of play start at quarterback, but play some other positions too, just to see if there's something else there. That wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me at all. Uh, on the Vikings front here. So yesterday, Jordan Addison actually had a pretty productive game. He got some targets. He made some uh, big time plays for the Vikings, 
But now, and we'll certainly see what happens with Justin Jefferson's hamstring, if Jefferson misses extended period of time, or even at least this Sunday's game against the Bears, what does that mean for Jordan Addison? Does Jordan Addison get an upload of snaps? Does he get the football more? You know, like what I what I've seen from him, what I really like is if you put the ball in his hands, he's going to make plays. You know, like when they had Percy mm-hmm. Harvin here, you know, in the early years of the Vikings, just put the ball in his foot in his hands and let him make some damn plays. Uh, if JJ is out, Miles, do you see an uptick in Jordan Addison production? Yeah, I think what you do is obviously it's not a one for one swap. Nobody can replace Ju- Justin Jefferson. Like that's impossible. But I think what you do in that scenario is to me is you tra- you move Addison into that role and let him kind of be that guy and to see how he operates. Like it's not always gonna he's not gonna win every route. He's not gonna always he's like he's not gonna be a true alpha like right now. But I think you kind of just give him that workload and see how he handles it and let him develop in that way because I think he has the upside long term ability to be like a one B like type of type of receiver. Um, and you've seen the glimpses. And so I think you just c- kind of give him that opportunity to um, kind of be the number one guy and see how he, ha- how he handles it this early in his, in his career. And um, just kind of like a trial by fire. I, I would re- enjoy to see, I would enjoy seeing it because he's not going to get the same kind of defensive attention that J- JJ gets. So maybe you still get more one-on-one opportunities and, and whatnot and see how he handles it. And I thought yesterday, even in those small glimpses, he looked a lot more comfortable he looked like his releases up the line of scrimmage were more clean. He was kind of giving guys better moves, and he was winning at the top of his routes and in some of the ways that he might not have been through physicality the first few weeks of the season. So it was nice to see just some of that instant improvement, um, you know, in game five. Yeah, I thought what was really interesting, Declan, when you when you take a look at Addison's performance. Once Jefferson went out of the game, you could tell that the defense completely shifted how they were uh, running coverages and Cousins almost felt more comfortable in an odd sense where it was very more, more simplematic uh, without having been able to dive into the all 22. He was working through progressions and there was no like, Hey, we're rotating over to double Jefferson. They were just able to play relatively standard coverages because you have three capable wide receivers, but nobody who is a megastar, nobody who's, a massive difference maker, at least at this point. So seeing Addison get more attention, I think will be interesting with his development. It will be interesting to see how cousins deals with like maybe like standard two high shells where, Hey, you just have man across the board, two guys up high. And how is he going to be able to maneuver that with uh, Osborne Addison and more than likely Brandon Powell? Like this is going to be a whole new Vikings passing game because of how defenses are going to counteract potentially missing Justin Jefferson. I think with Addison's development, he's going to be the number one guy in the offense. I think that is what fascinates me more than anything. Kind of like that Calvin Johnson effect. You remember when he retired and then the lines went out. So obviously Matthew Stafford and like, like Kirk cousins, you're going to hyper target freaks like those guys, like the best players in the world. Mm -hmm. You're going to hyper target them when they're on the field, but when they get hurt or if they're gone and you're not in your system, you, you get to spread the ball around a little bit more efficiently. And, and that doesn't mean that's no negative on JJ because for obvious reasons, you give that man the ball as much as you can. But when you don't have to like, when Kirk's the type of guy that likes to just take what the defense gives him, and that might not always be JJ. So if you have JJ out of the equation for a few weeks, that's him just being like, I'm just going to take my read and go and mm-hmm. not have to feel like he has to give it to JJ all the time. So I, I feel like we'd see that in a little bit more. I'm not saying that makes J, uh, Kirk Cousins better, or the offense will run better because I don't, you're not going to be better without JJ, but I think it'd be a little bit different to your point. And we'd see guys 
the ball would be spread out even more than what it's been. Have you guys been frustrated with all these TJ Hawkinson drops? You know, he signs this big contract. He uh, didn't report to training camp due to an ear infection and maybe even a hold-in situation. But it just seems like, man, it's gotten off to a little bit of a sour start uh, for the new, newly highest-paid tight end in the NFL. Yeah. Have to be. Um, I'll say this much. There's the, the newest thing among Vikings fans is saying Hawkinson wasn't worth the money and he stinks. And look, he's had some pretty brutal drops. And ones that are quantified as drops by fans but really don't necessarily qualify, mainly the, the Chargers game, that last play, he should have caught that ball. But it also wasn't the easiest catch in the world. I think Hawkinson's overall been fine to really good. And some of the things that he does really make an impact on the offense, especially with those wide choice routes where he's running up the field. And that's really the fourth down bread and butter for this team. Hawkinson just running those choice routes and getting open and making those tough catches. Like it, it almost feels like people are just looking for something to blame right now. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't fault him for it because this is a very frustrating point in the season. And especially people point to, Oh, Sam Laporte is dominating for the lions. Those picks don't, don't match up because we didn't trade the pick for Laporta, but the concept of, Oh, rookie tight end Laporta is an abnormal rookie tight end. Rookie tight ends usually don't do anything, but I, I think Hawkinson's been fine. And it's a five game stretch where honestly, the whole team has, let each other down in some way, shape or form. And I think we just need to be patient and understand that, Hey, it's going to fix itself. What do you guys think of, um, of a Caleb Evans here who battled some injuries again, like can't really stay on the field. It just, it seems like uh, no matter the cornerbacks they've drafted, whether that's Andrew Booth, who couldn't stay on the field last year now is not a fit. A Caleb Evans gets a starting spot basically out of training camp and also can't stay on the field. What What have you guys seen from the Vikings cornerback group of, I guess Evans, I'll even throw in like guys like Makai Blackman uh, who have been there as well. Uh, how, how have you guys evaluated them? And what do you think of their game through the first five games of the season? I think it's hard to say that he hasn't stayed on the field because I think Evans has been on the field majority of the snaps all season. Um, I think it's more of like, can he just kind of put things together? Because there's obviously plays in there where you're like, oh man, this guy's coming in and run support. He's making good plays in the ball. But then there's also instances as a young guy where you're seeing him get beat in areas you wouldn't like to um, but overall, I think he's been kind of like a breath of fresh air. I think the DBs as a whole have kind of been a strength of this defense in, in not every game, not every scenario, but I think you've seen some, some glimpses of like the things that <clears throat> Brian Flores are excited about. I think Josh Metellus has been really good. Um, and then Makai Blackman, I thought he came in and played well, um, in some of his spot snaps yesterday, um, should have had a pick if we're being honest. I thought that ball basically went right through his hands. I thought that was, that was going to be an interception, um, uh, I overall, but I, I think overall, like the DBs and the cornerbacks have played, played pretty good football. And I think it's just situationally things that they just need to clean up. But I think the young guys have stepped up in the way that you'd like them to. Yeah. I really haven't had any major issues with the cornerbacks. Obviously like Murphy is, has had some up and downs, but he's been in position more often than not. And sometimes it, when you're in position, it's just a matter of time before you start making a lot of plays. Evans has had some warts, but he's also played relatively well. And I think if you're looking at any weaknesses on this team, I'm not classifying secondary as one of them. Now I I see you kind of where your head's at Declan where, Oh, Evans missing time again because of an injury. It looked like he just banged knees 
And I think he just had a bruised knee and I think he's going to be just fine. Like to me, that's just a football thing. Whereas he had multiple concussions last year. I do worry that he's like the play. He got hurt. He dropped his head. And when he was trying to make that tackle now, nothing came of it with a concussion, but, and he just ended up banging knees and hopefully that's just a bunch of nothing, but it's, it's hard to necessarily blame him for getting hurt when that's just a football play. I, I do think Makai Blackman has looked better than the third round pick should look in their rookie year. And overall, this passing passing defense has been good, but they need defensive linemen to really help make it great because everything starts up front. And yeah, I, I, I'm not unhappy with the cornerback room right now. No, not at all. Uh, any other final takeaways yesterday from the games, guys? And I guess where this team kind of goes from here at one and four now and the trade deadline creeping up in about three weeks. Yeah. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I thought Kirk Cousins played his best game yesterday and the stats won't show it, but he was very calm and confident in the pocket, mm-hmm. moving around, creating, making confident decisions. There wasn't that hitch in his step that's been there and creeping up the last few games where he's just unsure of what to do with the football. He was sure. And he made some good throws. And honestly, I thought he was let down by some of his receivers. KJ Osborne, not looking back quick enough. That could have been on Osborne. That could have been on cousins. The timing seemed to be off. And as they noted on the broadcast and miles can talk about it, having played wide receiver in college timing with your quarterback on a lot of those routes is so important where they know exactly where you're going to be and when you're going to turn your head and where to throw the football. So it, that might've been on cousins might've been Osborne. We don't know, but I thought cousins was very calm and collected in the pocket, made really good decisions. And I thought he played his best game. The only one that was comparable was Philly, but a lot of the complaints I had about him over the last few weeks, they went away and it's that up and down roller coaster with cousins. And one of the reasons why the Vikings won't commit to him. He looked, he looked decisive and he looked like he was seeing the field really well yesterday. Now, I think mm-hmm. there's this, like, I mean, we've kind of talked about this over the season. There's been a few, like, accuracy things with Kirk. Not like uh, every every play, everything, but some of the pinpoint accuracy, accurate throws where he's so used to seeing Kirk hit, like, right on the numbers, right on the dot, has kind of been, like, maybe a second, a step behind in some of those. Like the Osborne one. I fault Osborne for not turning his head after the second he didn't break. You got you to get your head around the second you make that break because you got to anticipate the ball is coming. But I think the throw also didn't really put him in a position to, if he had seen it, it would have been a really difficult catch. Now, again, I still, I put more of the onus on, on Osborne there for not getting his head around because he had no idea where the ball could have come or had a, a chance at it. Um, so to your point, Forno, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think it's a, a more of an Osborne issue than a Kirk. Um, but yeah, I think he played decisive and well yesterday. Um, overall, I'm in a scenario where like, I think you had said at the top of the show, Declan, like this team should beat the line, the Bears, but like, should they? <laughs> Like the Bears had a more impressive win on Thursday night than we've seen the Vikings have in a while. Absolutely. And that's not to say that the Vikings can't can't beat the Bears. I, I still would still put like I don't know if I'd put money, but I'd you know, I'd say I think the Vikings should win this game. But the Bears have the last two weeks, even if they've been um Washington's no slouch, especially on defense. Like maybe they're not as good as we th- thought they were gonna be, but they're no slouch on defense. And so I think, you know, if there's no Justin Jefferson, it's a I'm a little bit worried about this game in the sense that like the you're kind of it's kind of like a wounded puppy like what do you do with that wounded puppy like are they, you know the Vikings are kind of down right now and can they rebound can they bounce back on the road 
in Chicago, which is always tough for this team to play. Um, and with the team that on the with the Bears, who probably are playing a little bit more confidence than they should be. And so I'm I'm a little bit worried about that. And that this game has a big dictation of like what happens over the next handful of weeks before the deadline. So um, I'm not really just ready to say like sell the farm, but I'm also saying if a team called me tomorrow and if the, if the Buffalo Bills called me tomorrow and said, hey, we, we just lost Matt Milano. Can we get Jordan Hicks for like a fifth round pick? I'm on board. Like I'd hate to like I don't want to lose Jordan Hicks, but I think they're at a point where you know, like that type of move they kind of need to make because you need to extrapolate value as much as you can right now. Those are the guys that they're going to trade. The ones that aren't coming back next year in or likely any capacity, because then you can go to the Wolves and be like, we're not tanking. We're not doing X, Y, or Z. They're not in our future plans. We're getting an asset back. It's going to be a fascinating next, like three weeks here on purple daily on draft, especially if the Vikings indeed kind of go down the spiraling, Spiral uh, of of losses, and then they end up. Or they have pieces. they have three games before the deadline. Yeah, between now and the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So, like I think I tweeted out earlier today, or X, whatever the hell they're calling it, right? The Elon like, Musk routine. Yeah, I put out there on X on Twitter that you know, basically, if you find a way to lose two of the next three before the deadline, like that's the, that's the nail in the coffin, in my opinion. Like you basically have to win two of the next three. Um, because obviously you have the 49ers in there and then the, the Packers before the deadline. But um, if you don't win two of those three, those, the, those, div- especially divisional games, then like you, you really don't have, have a shot rest of the season. Yeah. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait, man. It's going to be a blast and we'll break it down. Everything uh, right here on purple daily on draft two with uh, any trades and how they relate to the Vikings draft plans going forward. Purple Daily on Draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button for Daily Vikings Entertainment. We'll be back next Monday.